Today's a big day. Congratulations. It's been a long time. Look forward to the installation uh, this afternoon. JB and I go way back. Can't remember when, when in um, Memphis, Tennessee. I think maybe even before then. I can't remember. But we, it was in, oh, yes, I met you in seminary. That's right. When you were a seminary student. Right. Still got that picture. Okay. So we are going to be looking at a parable today uh, from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read the parable that precedes that, the one that's up there, because it gives the context. I'm going to read, actually begin in verse 1 of chapter 18. So it may not be up there, I'm not sure. But here we go, God's word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long <clears throat> over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now here's our scripture today. He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I get. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his, up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our God, our King, we thank you that you have given us this precious word, which is able to change us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use it in our lives, that you would use it today to convict us, convict us of our tendency uh, to be like the Pharisee, convict us of our need to know that we are very much like the tax collector, but convince us that you are the God who justifies and gives us righteousness because of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen. Two men go up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other 
a tax collector. So begins one of Jesus' best-known parables. How many people in here are familiar with this parable? Jesus tells this parable right after the parable about the persistent prayer and the widow seeking justice. And I believe that he's trying to give us a context in which to place this parable. The earlier parable begins to the effect that we ought to always pray and not to lose heart. That parable ends with the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So that's the question that precedes the parable that I read about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Perhaps God is asking the question, what kind of faith do I expect to see when Jesus returns? Who is Jesus telling this parable to? Our text tells us that Jesus was telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus was telling this parable to the Pharisees who treated others with contempt. You know, this prayer that Jesus puts in the mouth of this Pharisee would not have been that unusual. Let me read you a typical prayer coming from a rabbi of around 70 A.D. It goes, I give thanks to thee, O Lord my God, that thou hast set my portion with those who sit in the temple of learning. Thou hast not set my portion with those who sit in street corners. For I rise early, and they rise early. But I rise early for words of Torah, and they rise early for frivolous talk. I labor, and they labor. But I labor and receive a reward. And they labor and do not receive a reward. I run, and they run. But I run to the life of the future, and they run to the pit of destruction. So it would not have been that unusual. But Jesus tells this parable because he wants to warn us about the prevailing attitude of self-righteousness. Now today when we hear this parable, we automatically know that the Pharisee is the bad guy because we're so familiar with it. And we've painted the Pharisee as the bad person, the person that you don't want to be like. But we've got to remember that in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the good guys. The Pharisees were the religious group. The Pharisees were the, forgive me, they were the Presbyterians and they were the evangelicals of their day. They were righteous. They appeared to the law stringently. They wanted to make sure that they obeyed every single letter of the law. And they even put little laws around the law to, to make sure that they didn't break the real law. They were well respected, looked up to. They only represented a small percentage of the population, but people looked at them and pointed to them and got out of their way because they were the religious group. They were highly respected. Remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. The parable begins, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week, and I give a tithe of all that I get. The Pharisee begins his prayer to himself, basically. He's all by himself. He thinks he's better than the average Joe, so he's standing alone. 
the NIV says the Pharisee stood and prayed about himself. The Pharisee's prayer starts off very well. He starts off thanking God. And it's always good to start off a prayer thanking God. And if he had stopped his prayer there, he would have been doing well. But then he opens his mouth and continues. And his prayer quickly degenerates. I thank you that I am not like other men. He begins to compare his relative goodness, comparing himself to others, thinking himself better than most. And he begins to give God an example of his goodness. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. He's not like this uh, tax collector who was probably an extortioner or unjust like the tax collector or maybe an adulterer like he assumes perhaps is this tax collector. He continues to impress God by what he has done. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I get. You know, fasting was only required once a year on the Day of Atonement, but he was fasting twice a week. He fasted over a hundred times in a year. And he gave a tithe of not only his income, but everything, his herbs, herbs and his spices. Externally, this is a good guy. This is the kind of person you want in your church. This is the kind of person you make an elder or a deacon. Truly. The Pharisee is a combination of Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and Martin Luther King, all rolled into one person. By contrast, I want you to think about the most despised person you can think of. You see, Jesus contrasts the respected religious leader of his day with the most despised person of his day. Now, tax collectors, now we may not want to pay our taxes, but we generally don't despise tax collectors. You need to think about somebody who extorts. Think about how the public felt about Bernie Madoff. Think about a corporate executive who cooks the books and, and, and takes all the money to himself or herself. Been watching a series called American Greed in which they depict a person who has figured out how to swindle people and keep all the money to themselves. And by the end of the program, you just love the fact that they get locked up. You want justice. That's the tax collector. The tax collectors were hated because they worked for Rome, the enemy, and they were a foreign occupier. The tax collectors were allowed to collect taxes and give them proceeds to Rome, but anything that they collected above what was required by Rome, they were allowed to keep themselves. And so they resorted to extortion, to threats, anything that they could do to get as much money as they couldn't. They were despised by their Jewish brothers for, for not only being traitors to the Romans, but also for extortion, taking their money. The tax collector also goes into the temple to pray. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Contrasted with the Pharisee, the tax collector didn't even consider himself worthy to even be there. He stands at a distance away from the others because he doesn't think he's worthy. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast, thinking himself not 
even worthy. He begs God to have mercy on him, a sinner. And in the original language, the definite article is used in which he's saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Something had happened to this tax collector because he would not normally have been going to the temple to pray. Something wonderful had happened to him. He is deeply convicted of his sin. There are two amazing things about the prayer of this tax collector. One is that he recognizes himself as a sinner and even the worst of sinners. But there's an amazing use of words that the tax collector uses because he recognizes a provision that God gives to sinners. He is aware that God has dealt with sin. The tax collector asks God to be merciful to him. But he doesn't use the usual word for mercy. He uses a special word for mercy. And of course, Jesus is telling the parable, and so Jesus puts the word there. You see, the commonly used word for mercy would have been meant to have compassion or pity. But the word that Jesus uses means to cause to be favorably inclined, to propitiate. Now, that's a big word. It's in the Bible, though. And basically, to propitiate means to find favor. To propitiate is more than just being forgiven. But it's to find actual favor. If I offend my wife in a situation and I need to, I, I, I need to, to, to do more than just say, I'm sorry. I, I, I need to maybe bring a gift or, or, or take her out. And see, that's a form of propitiation. And what I'm trying to do is I want to know, are we good? Are we in favor again? There's no longer a cloud over the relationship. And that's essentially what this tax collector is asking for. He's asking for God to propitiate his sins. Incredible use of this language. The noun form of the word that Jesus uses could be translated mercy seat. So you could actually translate this phrase, God be mercy seated to me. The tax collector is asking for mercy on the basis of something that God provided on the Day of Atonement. And the details are written up in Leviticus 16. And that's why I had that obscure passage read earlier. And some of you might have been saying, what is he, why is, I have no idea. But basically, the Day of Atonement is, 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 is a day in which the priest goes into the temple into the Holy of Holies. And all that sprinkling of blood had to do with atoning for sin. You were required, the high priest, to come in. He had to come in with blood for himself, but he also needed blood for the people. And he came before the Ark of the Covenant, a, a box about four, two and a half feet, two and a half feet, and there was a mercy seat on top of it. And he was required to put the blood on top of the mercy seat with incense and others. And basically it was saying, see, the Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. And basically the blood covered God's judgment, the Ten Commandments that were in the Ark of the Covenant. So the idea 
is that he was asking for mercy on the basis of the provision that God gave once a year on the day of atonement. Now, of course, who's telling this parable? Jesus is telling the parable. Jesus is telling the parable about himself. He's talking about the day of atonement. He's talking about the temple and the holy of holies and the sprinkling of blood because it's all pointing to him and the provision that he gives through his blood. And when the tax collector says, God, be merciful to me, he's asking for mercy on the basis of God's provision. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, propitiate my sin. God, be mercy seated to me. Jesus ends the parable by telling us that this man went to his house justified rather than the other. Do you know what it means to be justified? It means to be declared right and righteous in God's sight. It means that God not only forgives your sins, but God actually likes you. Justification is better than forgiveness. Forgiveness is wonderful, but justification goes even deeper. With justification, we can actually have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our record. You're acquitted of your guilt as a sinner, and you're made acceptable in God's sight. Isn't that good news? But what does that all mean for us today? I want to give us three applications. There's a Pharisee in all of us. There's a tax collector there too. And thirdly, but there's a God who justifies us. There's a Pharisee in all of us. You see, we've learned to paint a negative picture of the Pharisee, making it very difficult for us to relate to the Pharisee. You see, the original audience would have been shocked and offended by this story. The original audience would have not have seen any problem with the Pharisees. The problem we have is that we already see the problem with the Pharisees. You see, this is a parable of contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. But we don't see it as well because we've painted the Pharisee in, as, as a bad guy too. Our biggest problem is that we know Jesus thinks the, the, the Pharisee's a bad guy. And we know that we're not supposed to pray this way. We know that this prayer is incredibly self-centered. And so we tend not to identify with the Pharisee, which makes it difficult for us to really get into the parable, and let it impact our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a modern rendition of this parable, a couple of modern renditions. And I, I want to paint a disclaimer. Uh, if, if it convicts, it convicts. My intention is not, to con is, is, is not to offend, but I want to read you a modern rendition of, the, of this parable. I'll give you a couple here. One. <clears throat> Two Christian men go to church and sat on the same pew. One a younger, dressed-down Christian, the other an older, dressed-up Christian. As the two men sat on the same pew, the younger, dressed-down Christian prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other Christ followers, ritualistic, 
traditionalist, or even like this guy sitting on the other end. I'm authentic. I sold out for you. I don't put on facade or like dressing up to worship you. But the older, dressed down, dressed up Christian quietly prayed to himself, God, I'm not perfect. I have failed thee often. In your steadfast love, have mercy on me. Here's another one. Two women take their children to the park to play. One a homeschooling mom, the other a public school mom. As the two women watched their children play together, the homeschool mom prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other women, selfish, unfit mothers, poor homemakers, or even like this woman who ships her children off to public school. I raise my kids myself. I protect them from worldly influences, and I ensure that my kids have a godly Bible-based education. But the public school mom humbly prayed, God, thank you for my children. Please help me be a godly mother. Strike me home. There's a Pharisee in all of us, but it's hard to admit there is a Pharisee there. And one of the best indicators of the Pharisee tendency in all of us is how we use our tongue. If you want to know how you do look, watch how you use your tongue. Are you critical of other people? Do you boast about your accomplishment? Do you gossip? Oh, it's not gossip. I'm just telling the truth. Do you complain about life? Is life not going, you know, you know if, I, if, if you know, God, my life is not going the way it should go, like we know how our life ought to go. See, that's, that's the pharisaical tendency. We put ourselves in the seat of judgment. It's hard to see the Pharisee, I, I, I know. But there's also a tax collector there. You know, the tax collectors were no good, money-grubbing, cheating Roman collaborators. Now, who wants to identify with a tax collector? Nobody in here is going to admit that they're a tax collector. People would walk on the other side of the street rather than uh, being on the same side of the street as a tax collector. It's hard to see the tax collector. It's hard to see the Pharisee, but my personal opinion is that I think it's impossible to see the tax, uh, the tax collector in us. When we really sin badly, it is really hard for us to see it. And the illustration that comes to mind is David and Bathsheba. David has an immoral relationship with Bathsheba, schemes to have her husband think that he did it, and then when that doesn't work, he has the general put him on the front line and kill. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and he thinks everything is okay. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 32 gives us a little glimpse into some of the pressures that David was feeling. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. All this pressure God was putting on him, he could... He still didn't get it. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of day. Now David does finally acknowledge his sin because he says it in Psalm 32 verse 5 when he says, I acknowledge, when I acknowledge my sin, 
uh, to you and did not cover up my sin, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. But you know what it took for him to see what he did? Nathan the prophet had to come to him. And Nathan couldn't come directly. Nathan had to come with a story, a real sad story about a rich landowner who wanted to have a party and a poor little farmer who had one little ewe lamb that he nursed and, as his favorite pet. And the rich landowner, rather than taking one of his spouses, goes to this poor little person with one, and it takes his, and, and we know what David said. David said, that man deserves to die. And what does Nathan say? Thou art the man. Oh. And David was convicted. He could see it. And that's how we are. We can't see our stuff. We need Nathans in our lives. If you want to see the tax collector, you need to ask God to send you a Nathan. And be careful. He's going to send somebody. And it's usually a close friend. And often a spouse. <laughs> I don't like it when Shirley tells me stuff. I become defensive. I push back against it. But that's, that's the reality. You know, we're Reformed Christians. We confess that we're sinners. But it's mainly here and here. But it, but, but it hasn't sunk in the reality that we are very much like the tax collector. There's a tax collector in there. It takes a miracle of God's grace to show you the tax collector that's inside all of us. But there's a Pharisee. There's a tax collector. But thanks be to God, we have a God who justifies sinners. I was a freshman in college, and I was taking chemistry for the first time in my life. I hadn't, you know, brand new student, hadn't been to college, had never taken chemistry. And I was doing terribly. <laughs> and I think I got like a 50 on the exam, and I was so mortified. I said, oh, man, this is awful. Then I looked at my paper, and I noticed that I, noticed that I got a C. And I said, a C? Uh, uh. So I ran to another student. I said, uh, he said, I got a, yeah, I got a 52, but I, we, we got C's. I said, what's up with that? I didn't understand. He said, well, the, the, the professor grades on a curve. I'd never heard of the curve. I'd never heard of a curve. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I took another class, analytic geometry, and analytic geometry was difficult. And I got a 50. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, that's okay. I probably got a C. So I looked, and I I got, a, I got an F. And I went to the teacher and I said, why did I, get a, why did I get an F? She said, because you failed. I said, what about the curve? <laughs> she said, I don't grade on a curve. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, I am here today to tell you that God does not grade on a curve. Two men go up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. But only one goes home justified, and the other doesn't. Why? Because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. The Pharisee justified himself. 
while the tax collector fell on the mercy of the court. One assumed that God was grading on a curve, and the other knew he had failed miserably. One thought he was better than the other. The other saw himself as the worst of sinners. Jesus said the tax collectors and the Pharisees are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Why? Because they recognize themselves as sinners. Have you ever heard of a curve buster? You know, the teacher's grading on a curve and people are getting 40s and 50s and except somebody comes in and they get the highest grade than anybody else and they break the curve. Well, Jesus is the perfect curve buster. Jesus got 100%. In God's standards, Jesus was perfect and none of us are perfect. You see, we like to live with relative goodness. At least I'm better than Joe. But that's not how God grades. God has a perfect grading system, and the grade is 100, and there's one, only one who has fulfilled that. And unless you are in him, you can't pass. God has given us a gift through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you would put your life in him, you will be given the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We have all failed and fall short of the glory of God. Only one who is perfect. Have you ever read James 4, 7? I used to read James 4, 7, and it would say, say stuff like, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Hmm, I could do that. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hmm, I could do that. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Sweet word. And then... But it was followed by, cleanse your heart, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. I'm thinking, did he change the subject matter? <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like a slap in the face. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to... <laughs> but that's the reality is that we're sinners. But it's hard to take when it's in your face like that. We like to think, well, I'm not perfect. No, you're a sinner. <laughs> you know, Jesus talked about, you know, he said he talked about the fact that you don't know how to get, you know, if you who are wicked know how to give good. You know, by the way, you know you're wicked. He didn't apologize. It's in your face. But 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 that's the good news. Because it causes us to flee to the only true righteousness there is, which is in Jesus Christ. Christ. There's a Pharisee in all of us, and there's a tax collector there too. But we have a God who sent his son to this earth to die for our sin. He died for the Pharisee. He died for the tax collector. And if we will confess him as our Lord, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to beat us up. We're beaten down enough by our sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We need peace. And peace can only come through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a humbling thing to ask for mercy. We naturally like to exalt ourselves. But Jesus ends this parable with these words. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility doesn't come naturally. You need conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I would pray that God would fill you with his spirit that you might repent like the tax collector and that you might experience the joy of his salvation that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father and our God and our King, we thank you. We thank you for this parable. We thank you for what it teaches us. I pray that you would apply it. Apply it to me. Um, Apply it to your people who are here. I pray even that if there are some here who came even here by accident today, we know that there are no accidents, and that in your providence, you would use this word to convict them and cause them to repent of their sins and come to you for salvation, which can only be found through Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.